preacher this morning needs no introduction here for most of you, but there's some of you in the room who may not be aware of who he is. This morning, we have the distinct honor of having our brother, uh, Ben Kerfman, uh, to come. Ben is a pastor of North Point Chapel in Albion, New York, and for six years up until June of this year, he served as one of our elders and pastors here at this church. Brother, we love you. So glad to see you and your family here. You come pray and open the word for us. Good morning. It, uh, it's hard to believe it was only six months ago I was standing in this pulpit. A lot has happened since then. Um, I do uh, bring you greetings from Albion, New York, as my wife says, where the A's are long and the funds are short. Um, but the church there did want me to make sure that I, that I uh, greeted all of you. Um, several of you got to meet uh, Rich and his wife and, and Rick and his wife who came down here for our commissioning service, and they wanted to make sure that I said hello, um, and also thank you for all of you who have sent cards. Uh, several of you have actually visited um, up there when you're in the area, and that's such an encouragement to us to have that uh, connection here uh, at home uh, as we've been in a, in a new community and in some ways a new world. And so uh, we thank you for your prayers and, and your encouragement and support, the messages and things that you send to us. Um, this morning, I'm going to bring a message out of 1 John 5. If you want to be turning to 1 John 5, uh, I, the first book I preached through in New York was 1 John because uh, people needed to understand what Christians were. Um, uh, the cities of Buffalo and Rochester for many years were rated the most biblically illiterate cities in the United States, um, and it's not uncommon for me to talk to people who don't know basic stories like Adam and Eve or Noah's Ark or the Ten Commandments or um, any kind of basic Bible knowledge there. Um, the Book of Mormon was written an hour away uh, from where we live, and so there's a lot of Mormonism. I have three people in the church now who are former Jehovah's Witnesses that still aren't sure whether Jesus is God or not, um, so we're having to teach them about things like the Trinity. Um, and we have cultural Catholicism, where people think that a Bible is a lucky rabbit's foot that they can carry around that will uh, give them uh, success in life. And so there's a lot of confusion, a lot of error, and, and First John uh, clears a lot of that up. In fact, uh, one of the first books that Chris preached um, when I first came to Barberville was First John, actually, and um, it's a very good letter. So uh, we're going to be in First John uh, chapter 5, and today we're going to look at verses 5 through 12. If you found your way there in your copy of God's Word, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read this passage together this morning. First John 5, 5 through 12. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he, does not, he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Father, we ask that you would bless and add to the reading of your word this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would... Help me to preach beyond my own ability so that it's apparent uh, that it is your word that contains the power this morning. We know that 
the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that, um, Lord, the attention would not be on me, but that it would be on you. I ask that you would put a guard over my mouth that I would only say things that are profitable and true and helpful for your people. I ask that you would speak through your word today to each one of us what it is that we need to hear, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we would respond to this, uh, what we hear today in your word, in the way that you would have us to do, um, that you would uh, show yourself the ruler of our hearts um, this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is Seeking a Greater Testimony. Seeking a Greater Testimony. So what is a testimony? Uh, the, the biblical standard that we have for a testimony is normally two or three witnesses. You hear that all throughout Scripture. And in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So in the Old Testament, you couldn't just bring an accusation against somebody. There had to be multiple witnesses saying this person has sinned or they have wronged another person or they have done something uh, to offend this other person. But this is also carried over in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 13.1, Paul says, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so in Hebrew culture, and really in some ways even in our own modern society, Uh, We want to have multiple witnesses to something. You never want to be in a situation where it's your word versus somebody else's word. Uh, Multiple witnesses adds credibility to a person's accusation or to an argument that they have, which is part of what John's getting at here in our text today. Uh, Think about uh, the things that we have. So Rebecca and I uh, just recently, we almost have our cars switched over to New York uh, after six months. So we now have, our Suburban now has, New York tags, and it has a New York registration, but it still doesn't have a New York inspection yet because they do emissions there, unlike Haywood County where you can roll it in without an engine and they'll probably pass inspection on it. Um, And so it's been a long process to do that. One of the benefits of living in New York State is you can get an enhanced license that allows you to cross the U.S. border without a passport, which means we can go uh, shopping in Canada if we want to, which is only about an hour and 15 minutes away. And so uh, now that we have these enhanced licenses, we can do that. But you have to bring multiple forms of verification. Now, the nice thing about Albion is it's only 5,000 people, so there's no wait at the DMV. You just walk right in, and there's never anybody ahead of line of you because uh, it's very small. Uh, But in order for us to uh, get our enhanced driver's license, you have to bring six forms of identification. So we had to bring our New York state license, we had to bring our birth certificate, we had to bring a copy of our marriage certificate, we had to bring a bank statement that has our new address on it, or postmark mail, not mail that has your name on it, it has to actually have the stamp from the post office on it. Um, you can bring uh, a passport, you can bring a school, an official school transcript from college. Whatever it is, you have to bring six points of identification to prove that you are who you say you are. Now, you don't have to do that to vote in New York, but you do have to do it in order to get a driver's license. So you have to have multiple witnesses saying that you are who you are in order for them to issue you this kind of driver's license. Think about whenever you're married. In our culture, there's three testimonies to the fact that you're married uh, most of the time. You normally have a marriage certificate or a marriage license that you get that's a legal document showing we're actually married, uh, signed, again, by two witnesses. Uh, Most people have a wedding band if they're married. That's a testimony. When you see a person wearing a wedding band, you assume this person is in a committed marital relationship. They are not available to be in a relationship. 
The other thing is, is the changing of names. So women change from their maiden name to their married name. That's a testimony that they now uh, belong to this man. They're now committed in this marriage relationship, and they have a testimony together. together. Some testimonies are better than others. Uh, there, there are various forms. There are certain things I can bring into the DMV that they will not accept, even though uh, they might be great. I could have somebody at the church write and say, I'm going to sign my name saying that you actually live where you live, and they might say, well, we don't recognize that. Because even though you're testifying about that, it's not a good enough testimony. And so some testimonies are, are better than others. Part of what John's saying here in the text that we're looking at today is uh, the prophets and apostles are good witnesses to who Jesus Christ is, but God himself is a better witness to who Christ is. And so we have the testimony of Scripture. We have the testimony of the apostles. When you think about in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders, right, you have 12 of the heads of the tribe of Israel represented and the 12 apostles of the church represented, right? You have the old and the new covenant represented there in the end, and they are all witnesses to the glory of God. But when people see God for themselves, they don't need witnesses. God is his own witness to himself. There is no greater witness. If God says something about you, no one else can say anything different or more true than what God says about you because his testimony is greater. Not only that, but in verse 10 there, John makes it very clear. Uh, those who deny God's testimony about Jesus make God a liar. So when I, when I have to preach this to people, uh, or when the Jehovah's Witnesses come by our house like they have, or the Mormons come by our house, and they have a different testimony about who Jesus Christ is, John says that they're liars because they disagree with the testimony that God has said about his own son. And so we have to agree with God's testimony. So what are these things? Um, I want to read uh, John 5 a selection of John 5 here of what Jesus uh, had to say about this in verse 18. Uh, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me He has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. And so Jesus makes it clear himself that God has testified concerning him, and that is the testimony that he needs. So there's two things that I want us to look at in our text this morning. God's testimony concerning Jesus, and then God's testimony concerning Christians. 
and you'll see the parallel here. There's three testimonies that God gives concerning Jesus according uh, to John here in 1 John. And the first testimony is the testimony of water, or, or what we understand as baptism. Uh, Matthew three thirteen through 17, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering him said, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fill, fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So there's this testimony of water, this testimony of baptism that Jesus has. What's happening there? Well, for one, this is one of the clearest pictures that we have of the Trinity in Scripture, where you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together in their unified will and also distinctly in their different offices and functions. So we see that in Scripture. But the, the important thing here that I want us to see is there is a visible affirmation of Jesus' spiritual state. Well, what does that mean? That means that it's one thing for the Spirit to come down and to, and to land on him. That was, that was an acknowledgment to John that John knew that Jesus was the Messiah when he saw that happen. But the greater testimony was the Father himself speaking from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so when John's saying, listen, God himself has a testimony concerning Jesus, he's saying your opinion about whether Jesus is the Son of God is irrelevant because God himself said that he is. So if you disagree that Jesus is the Son of God, you disagree with God. God has testified concerning his Son at his baptism uh, the testimony of water that he has in this baptism. The second testimony that God has concerning Jesus is the testimony of the blood, or what we understand as atonement. Um, we, read, we read about this uh, in Hebrews uh, as our text today, um, the testimony of the blood. So God testified through nature and through the temple veil concerning Jesus through other resurre- resurrections to the point that even the Romans recognized it. So how did God testify uh, through those things, Matthew 27, 50 through 54, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So God has testified in the testimony of blood through the atonement. It's very clear. If you read about this curtain that was torn, this is a very thick curtain. It's not something that you could just tear. Even if you could tear it, it would be like trying to tear a phone book. You, you, would, you would do it from the bottom. You couldn't do it from the top. And yet, at the exact moment that Jesus yields up his spirit, this curtain is ripped in two. And you have to understand what, what's on the curtain. Well, what's on the curtain, according to what we know from Scripture, is is a cherubim with a flaming sword. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you remember that it was a cherubim with a flaming sword that God placed at the entrance to the garden to prevent man from being able to come back into fellowship with him in the garden. So what does this signify? It is God's testimony that through Christ, Hebrews says, through the veil of his flesh that was torn, we are now able to re-enter fellowship with God in the garden in the, in the end, in the new Jerusalem where we will dwell with God, we are now able to enter into that because that veil has been torn. 
the, the angel with the flaming sword has been removed by God himself. And so how are we able to come back into fellowship with God? It is only through Christ that we can pass through that veil. There is no other way to get in. Uh, Jesus says that he is the door, right? He's the gate to the sheepfold. Anybody who tries to come in by another way is a thief and a robber, somebody that doesn't belong there. There's only one way to get into the sheepfold, and that's coming in through the gate or through the door, which is Christ himself. He is the only way to salvation. And God testified through this, through that, through the power of the resurrection that was happening even as he died, others were being raised as a testimony of that fact. And notice it says in that scripture, the bodies of the saints. Well, who are the saints? Those are the sanctified ones. Those are the ones who are saved. Why is it they that were being raised? Because you remember the scripture says that the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty that we pay. It is unjust for a person to stay, stay in the grave if they are sinless. If God keeps a sinless person in the grave, then he is paying them wages that they do not owe him. It's unjust for him to do that, which is the reason why when their debt was paid at the cross, they were resurrected. Why? Because now they are sinless. Because death has no power over them anymore. Why was Jesus resurrected from the dead? The reason why he was resurrected from the dead is because it would be unjust for him to stay in the grave when there were no more sins for him to pay for. That is the assurance that we have of our salvation. How can you know for sure that you're saved today? Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Because if Jesus died for your sins and he did not resurrect from the dead, then you're still in your sins. Paul says that. But because he has resurrected from the dead, when you doubt yourself and you ask the question, am I really saved? Am I really doing enough? Am I, you know, I, I sinned, I sinned, I'm struggling with this issue. Do I, can I really have assurance of my salvation? The answer is, is Jesus resurrected today? If the answer is yes, then have assurance of your salvation. Because the only way that you can't have assurance of your salvation is either if Jesus is not raised from the dead or if he didn't die for you. That's the, that's the only way you can know. And if you love him, you know he died for you, right? That's the other question. How do I know if, uh, if I'm one of the elect? Do you love Christ? Then, then yes, you're one of the elect because those are the only ones who do love him. Nobody else does. Everybody else thinks that the gospel is foolishness. So that's how you can know. So you have the testimony of the water in his baptism. You have the testimony of the blood in his atonement. And the third testimony that John gives us is the testimony of the Spirit in regeneration or in resurrection. Jesus fulfills and restores mankind. And how does he do this? He fulfills the ceremonial law through his baptism by, 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 being perfect, by representing us in every way. Even in our repentance, he represents us. He fulfills the sacrificial system in his death by becoming the final sacrifice. And he uh, and the reinstatement of our fellowship with God in his resurrection. And this is the, the testimony that we have of the Spirit, that it was the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that dwells in you today. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us and will raise us again one day. That's the hope that we have. So that's God's testimony concerning Jesus. You have to believe these things in order to be a Christian. If God says it, you have to believe it. We don't get to pick and choose it's not a buffet. It's not an a la carte menu. I like this part of Jesus. I like that part of Jesus. You have to receive the entire testimony of what God has said about his son in order to be saved. And John's clear about that. If you have the son, then you have life. If you don't have the son, then you don't have life. If you believe God's testimony according to the son, then you're saved. If you reject God's testimony towards the son, then you're not saved. And this is, this is the conversation that we, that we have with people, with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, others. You can pile up your good works. You can do all those kind of things. But if you, at the end of the day, if you don't believe the biblical Jesus, you're not saved. 
It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. If you're a Baptist and you don't believe the biblical Jesus, you're not saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It's, has God said it and do I believe it? So the second thing that I want you to see in our text today, besides God's testimony concerning Jesus, is God's testimony concerning Christians. Because all three of these testimonies that God has given according to his son, he has given to you also, believer. The first thing I want you to see is the testimony of water in your baptism. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So if you're in Christ today, you are receiving the promises of Abraham. You you are receiving the blessing. You are in the covenant that God has made with his people. Even if you're not a Jew, you are not saved by the ethnicity of Abraham. You are saved by the faith of Abraham. And how do we demonstrate that testimony? How How do I demonstrate the testimony that I'm in the covenant? How do I receive the covenant sign? right? This is the question. This is the, the age-old question between the Baptists and the Presbyterians, right? Do we agree on the covenant sign? Yes, the covenant sign is baptism. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. That's how you knew that you belonged to, to the people of God. In the New Testament, it's water baptism, that when you are baptized, that it is, uh, it is the sign that you belong to Christ, that you are a part of the visible church. And the reason why we as Baptists insist on baptizing people by immersion is because if we are going to be like Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, then we must also create a picture that looks like death, burial, and resurrection, which is why you go under the water and you come out, because it's identifying yourself with Christ. Uh, Christ going into the tomb and being resurrected out of the tomb cannot be symbolized with a person being sprinkled with water or poured with water. It's only symbolized by immersion, which is the reason why we make a big deal out about that. So we, so we can agree with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters that the covenant sign is baptism. What we disagree on uh, is what Hebrews says, that we have a better covenant that's enacted on better promises, and we believe that there should be a better sign for that better covenant. In other words, instead of being marked by being in a physical family, we're actually marked by being in a spiritual family, which is the reason why we only baptize believers and not infants. And so Paul here is saying that testimony of water that... Uh, that you have is a testimony about uh, that God is giving concerning you. This is also the reason why when you get baptized, you have a conversation with your elders about that, and they ask you questions of, tell me about how you came to Christ. Tell me about what your understanding of the gospel is. Tell me, uh, do you think that you're a good person, or do you think that you're a sinner? Uh, those kind of questions say a whole lot about where you stand with the Lord. But when you go up there and you get baptized, and all of those people, are again, are witnesses— what are they actually witnessing? Are they witnessing something that you did or are they witnessing something that God did? Well, in a way it's both, but at the end of the day, really what you're testifying to is you're saying, God has placed his seal on me spiritually. I have been circumcised in my heart, as Paul says. I have received the circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of the flesh, but the way that you know is by my baptism. This is also the reason why we believe that someone needs to be baptized before they come to the Lord's table. Why? The Lord's table is a family meal. It's for believers only. How do you know if a person is a believer if they have not identified themselves with Jesus Christ in their baptism? You don't. They're just saying, I'm a believer. But the question is, has God said that just saying is enough, that you're just confessing him with your mouth? That might be enough in order for you to be saved, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that uh, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. But is, is it enough to be a, a witness or a testimony to the world that you are actually in Christ? The answer is, all the apostles say, repent 
and be baptized. That's the command that they give, right? Why? Because when you're baptized, it's like putting that wedding band on. It's a visible sign of, I'm not going anywhere else. When you talk to people like Hindus that have millions of gods, would you like to trust in Jesus as your savior? Sure. I got a whole shelf of gods here. I'll add Jesus to that. Would you like to be baptized into the name of Jesus as a sign that you only belong to him? I can't do that. My family will kill me over that. Why is the baptism such a big deal? Because it's exclusive. I'm only being baptized into one name. Like Paul says, we only have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, We don't have more than one. We don't get baptized for every other person that we like out here. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we have to have that testimony of water baptism in the same way that Jesus had the testimony. God the Father testified at Jesus' baptism that Jesus was his son, and God the Father testifies at your baptism that you're his son or daughter also. The second testimony that we have is the testimony of the blood and atonement. We just read that in Hebrews. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. That the priests go day after day out offering these sacrifices, offering these sacrifices, and it can never make perfect the people who they're offering sacrifices for. And the true sacrifice, the Lamb of God that he provided for himself, is able to satisfy the wrath of God to fully pay the debt of sins and make perfect those for, for whom he's dying. And we have to have that testimony. And again, How do you know that you have that testimony? That's the question a lot of people deal with. Well, do you believe God chooses? Yes. Nobody has a problem with God choosing in the Old Testament. Some people don't like it in the New Testament. I don't understand why that's uh, confusing. But God chooses people. That's biblical. That's the way that it works. And how do you know? How do you know if you are? Well, I'm better than this person over here. Okay, well, that's not the standard because Scripture is clear that God picks wretches all the time. In fact, that's kind of his specialty is picking the people that none of us would save if we had to choose. First um, Corinthians 1, right? He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the mighty, the things that are nothing to, to the things that are. Uh, that's the way that God works. He chooses the least of these um, in, in the way that he does those things. So how can I know if I have the testimony of blood? Well, the way that you know is you have faith, right? Ephesians 2, right? We are saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift. It's, it's not of works, It's not works that you're doing. It's the gift of God so that nobody can boast in it. So do you have faith? Again, the question is, do you love Christ? When you hear the gospel, is your response to that love for him? Because unbelievers don't love Christ. The world does not love Christ. They do not love the idea of a God telling them what they can and can't do. They they don't want some God saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want whatever. And and we have this issue where we have this uh, relationship with the law well, I don't, want, I don't want God's law telling me what I can and can't do. Okay, well, then you're just like your father, Adam. That was his problem too. I don't want God telling me what tree I can eat from and what tree I can't eat from. I can make up my own mind about a tree. And here we all are because of that thing. And then we turn around and do the same thing every day. Well, I don't need God to tell me how I'm supposed to treat my spouse or how I'm supposed to be with my, my children. I don't, I don't you know, the, the, some of those passages about God sound really mean and he sounds mean and that's not my God. Okay, well, then you just don't believe the Bible and and you're not saved like everybody else in the world. But when you read something, the the hard passages is really the test, right? That's really the test when you read something uncomfortable about God and you ask yourself the question, okay, this is God's testimony concerning himself in his word of what he has revealed about himself. One of us has to change. Either God has to change in my mind so that I'm comfortable or I have to change how I think about God, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And one of the things about making him your Lord and not just your Savior is he gets to say who he is. He gets to identify himself. So whenever he says, this is, this is the way that I think, 
This is what I want you to do. This is the way that I've set up the world to work. The question is, do you submit to that or do you not submit to that? If you belong to him, then you'll, you'll submit to that because you'll understand that God is not up there trying to oppress us. The, the, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? And so why, how can the psalmist say that he loves God's law, that God's law is sweet to him, uh, that he, he delights in the law, he delights to meditate on the law of God, and the whole world is like, I don't want some law telling me what I can and can't do. The difference is, is because he understands that the law is good for him, that God loves him, and that God's made the world in a certain way, and that the more that we obey to him and, and submit to his design for creation, the more we receive blessing from him. And the more that we resist his design for creation, the more condemnation we receive and judgment. And, and, and the consequences of obedience or disobedience are real. We see that every day in our own lives and in our society especially. And so you have to have the testimony of water as a believer. You, you need to be baptized. Um, but you have to have the testimony of the blood too. So it's not just enough to be baptized because you have some people out there, yeah, I've been baptized like five times, okay? <laughs> you've probably been baptized zero times. You've gotten wet five times, but you probably have never been baptized. Do you have the testimony of the blood? Do you know for sure that when you die that your sins are forgiven? Not because you did something nice this week or you put a little extra money in the plate or you did anything like that. Or is it because you know, I know for a fact that Jesus died for sins I know for a fact that I love him because he died for sins. And the fact that I love him tells me that I have faith because that comes from God. I I didn't just wake up one morning loving Jesus. God did something in my heart to show me who Jesus is so that I would love him, which means I belong to him. And Jesus is resurrected from the dead, which means I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. And that that is the hope that we have. That's the good news that we are bringing to people is who is is this Christ? Who is this person uh, that has the testimony of the blood on our lives. The third uh, and final testimony concerning Christians is the testimony of the Spirit and regeneration, the new birth, being born again. Romans 8, 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that dwells in you. Well, what does that mean? That means... You are living the resurrection life today. We, we miss this a lot of times. Well, I know that when I die, that there's, that there's going to be a resurrection. You remember Jesus when he comes uh, to, after Lazarus has died? Jesus, if you would have been here when, when my brother was sick, he would not have died. And Jesus said, your, your brother's going to live. Well, I know that he's going to be resurrected on the last day, right? She had faith. I know, I know that... At the judgment, when everybody's raised, that he's going to be raised in. And what does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, you don't have to wait for another day. I can raise him right now. And the thing is, Lazarus' physical body died, but Lazarus was resurrected spiritually by Jesus in in his life. Spiritually, Lazarus never died after that time. Lazarus is alive today. He will receive a body one day, but he's alive today. And we forget because we're all, sometimes we're, we're looking ahead to the resurrection and we're, we're waiting to live for Christ or we're waiting to have the power of the Holy Spirit in the future and you have it right now. You have all of the Holy Spirit in you right now that you will ever have in your life. You have, you have more access to the power of God to overcome sin and proclaim the gospel now than you will ever have in your life. 
today. You will never get more. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible, how much you pray, how much anything. You either have it or you don't. And if you've been born again, then the Spirit of God is in you, working in you, and will continue doing that, right? He will complete that work which he's begun. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he's going to work those things out today. And so if you're in your mind, well, I got to get to this certain place spiritually before I can do this or serve here or do this thing or, or, or whatever it is, that's just excuses. The reality is you are fully equipped to do everything today that God has called you to do. Whatever it is, he will equip you to do it. And if you step forward in your obedience and doing that, I've seen that. I've seen that in the past six months. I am here as a testimony to you. If you surrender your life to God and say, I will go anywhere, I will do anything that you want to do, he will pave the way for you. My family is fully provided for in a tiny church, about half the size of this room right now. My family, all of our needs have been met. My son is basically healed after, after a year of, of debilitating illness, God has provided the doctors and the medicines that we needed because we were willing to go to a place that had a hospital that we didn't even know about. That was the, that was the best in the country for what he needed. We, we have, uh, my wife and I's health is better than it's ever been. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. God has richly blessed us. Why? It's, it's just yielding. The, the more that we yield, the more that we let go, the, the more that he begins to bless and provide. And I, and I would just encourage you as a testimony to do that in your own life, whatever it is that he's leading you to do. It doesn't have to be something like moving across the country. It could be something like showing up to Sunday school on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it could be something like going to the prayer meeting or helping at the nursing home or talking to that coworker or that neighbor or that friend during this holiday season. A lot of people are depressed during the holidays. They've lost loved ones and others. They need some good news. It's just opening your mouth and speaking. Well, well I, you know, I'm not spiritual enough to know the right things to say. That's okay. The Holy Spirit's a real person. He can actually work. If you open your mouth, he can actually give you the things to say because he's real. He's not just an idea. And so if you're yielded to him, let him work through you. Uh, and he will do that because he is a real person. So you have to have the testimony of water baptism, but that's not enough. You have to have the testimony of the blood also. If Jesus didn't die for your sins, then it doesn't matter. There's no point in you even being here this morning because you're going to die in your sins, right? And I don't know who is and isn't. I can't look around and say, well, this person believes in God, this person doesn't, whatever. That's not my job. Again, as he said, the Father has given all the power of judgment to the Son. I don't judge anybody when they die. I can tell them there will be a judge, and they, they need to make sure they're right with him, but I'm not the judge of anybody. I don't decide those kind of things. But you need to have the testimony of the blood, and you need to have the testimony of the Spirit. Are you born again? If somebody that knew you five years ago ran into you now, would there be any difference? Would, would they say, you, you don't seem to be the same person? And the answer is, well, no, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Even as a believer, people should see you progressing. Your church family should say, you know, I remember when this person first started coming to church or whatever, and, and they were over here. But man, God's really done some awesome things in their lives. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I watch from afar. There's some people in this room right now that I've seen have some major spiritual growth over, just in six months. And it brings joy to my heart to see that God is is doing that because that's not a testimony about them. I just worked really hard and I'm really disciplined and I started reading my Bible more. No, it's I love God more than I did. And that's because he put that love in my heart. It's a, it's a testimony that you belong to him, that you love him more than, than you used to love him. It's, it's all his work. He's, he's the one that's doing it all. So in conclusion, I want to, uh, I want to read uh, Acts 2, 37 through 39. This is the end of Peter's sermon here where he's proclaiming to the Jews... <laughs> Remember, that, remember those promises that God made to you about the Messiah? Remember all those? 
You remember how you've longed for thousands of years to see this Messiah come to save you? You killed him. The, the, the one that God promised you all this time, when he actually showed up, you killed him. You killed the only Savior that you had. This is what Peter preached to them in Acts 2. And what do they say? It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, what? Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Notice this, my Presbyterian friends, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself, not just the household, it's those who are called, right? The, the, the point is the ones who are called are the ones who should repent and be baptized. So ask yourself this question this morning. How many of these testimonies do you have in your own life? Uh, If you don't have the testimony of the blood of Jesus, you need to acknowledge your need of him and call on him to save you this morning. That's the most important one. If you you think that you're going to get to heaven because you're a good person or because your family member was a pastor or you went to church a lot when you were a kid or you prayed a prayer at VBS or whatever it is, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ died for my sins and he is the only hope that I have of salvation, it's the wrong answer. That's, That's the only right answer is... I am able to be right with God. God sees me as being his perfect son adopted into his family solely on the work of Jesus, only on that. If you believe anything other than that, you believe a false gospel. That, that, that is the gospel. So do you have that testimony this morning? Can you honestly say, that is my only hope, that, that if somebody were asking me, you know, what, when you stand before God, what's going to be your reason for why you're going to be able to have fellowship with him? And the answer is, it's only on the work of Jesus. The blood of Christ is all that I have. I don't bring anything else. I don't pretend to be somebody that I'm not. I'm not trying to impress you. It's, it's, I don't deserve to be here. It's only because of him. You have to have that testimony in your life. If you don't have the testimony of baptism, then you need to publicly identify yourself with Jesus and declare that you're not ashamed of the gospel by being baptized. It's one of the things that I deal with a lot. Is I've got church members right now that haven't been baptized. <laughs> Because nobody, nobody taught them about any of this stuff. And, and, and I'm explaining to them, okay, so what you're saying is, is, is I will identify with Christ by being on a church roll, which is not anywhere in the Bible, but I won't identify with Christ by being baptized, which is all over the Bible. And so, again, is it a testimony to be a church member? Yeah, it's, it's a testimony. Like we read in Hebrews, we should be gathering together. It's really hard to do the one another commands of ministry with, without being in a fellowship of believers. So you should be a church member, and that is a testimony. But as we've said, there are greater testimonies. Baptism is a greater testimony than church membership, right? Being born again is a greater testimony than baptism because there's a lot of people who have been baptized that are not born again. And so John's laying out the criteria here. The whole book of 1 John is how do you know if you're saved? How do you know if you're a Christian? We are writing these things to you as eyewitnesses so that you may know that you have eternal life. So how can you know for sure that you have eternal life today? Because you've been baptized. And you understand what that means, that you're publicly identifying yourself with Jesus because you know that Jesus died for your sins. And then finally, if you don't have the testimony of the Spirit in your life, you might know a lot about God but not have true saving faith. There, there are people, you guys realize Satan's, Satan's theology is better than any of you. You realize that? Satan has basically perfect theology because, he, I mean, he was, he's been there for pretty much everything. He knows God better than any of us. He was, he was eyewitness to the majority of Scripture. He, he's, he's seen all that kind of stuff. He, he knows that. So, so when, we, when we debate about 
something, you know, like, a, like baptism or church government or election or whatever. The devil's got all that figured out. He knows how that stuff works. He doesn't care. He still hates God. But, but he knows how all that works. And, and if, we're, if we're not careful, he's, he's even okay with Christians knowing a lot of stuff and not being saved. He, he, he's okay if you get baptized. He's okay if you read the Bible all the time and you pray all the time. He's fine with you being smarter than that person, right? And being like a Pharisee and saying, well, I know more doctrine than that guy over there. That guy, you know, he's, he's got that all wrong. You know, if he, if he went to my church and, and he understood what we believe, he, he would be correct. You can have all that and die and go to hell because, because you still don't have as good a theology as Satan does. Uh, and he has no hope of salvation whatsoever. So, we are not saved by theology. We're saved by Christ. We have to remember that because I know I'm talking to a different audience here because I know you guys are theologians. I know that. I know this is a reading church. I've been here. Okay. Um, I know you guys, the, the, the level of knowledge is a lot higher here than it is at a lot of churches. And that's part of why we love our church. Let's be honest. We love rich preaching and, and study and conversation. That's part of what we love about being a part of this church. And I get that. But we have to be careful to remember that we are not saved by doctrine. We are saved by Christ. It is a person who has saved us, not a confession of faith or uh, any, any other kind of thing. And while those things may be important in knowing and loving God, they, they are, our hope is not in them. Um, our, hope, our hope is in Christ. If Christ died for someone that you think is totally wrong theologically, that person's going to be saved. And it, it might be uncomfortable to think about that, but, the, but the, the entrance exam is not a theological exam. It's are you covered by the blood of Christ or are you not? There's a lot of people. There's, there are some people that we would say, I don't even know if this person can believe that and really be saved that are going to be there. Jesus is very clear. There will be people there that you didn't think would be there. And there will be people missing that you thought for sure were going to be there. And, and we need to make sure that we're not one of those people. So if, you're, if you've got this really neatly packaged kind of doctrine this morning, you need, you need to examine yourself and ask, what am I really trusting in? Am I, entrusting, am I trusting in being smart enough to get into heaven or am I trusting in Christ? It's two different things. So just ask yourself, these are three testimonies, water, baptism, the blood atonement, and the, and the regeneration of the Spirit. Do you have those testimonies this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony that you've given us uh, according uh, or about your son, concerning your son, Lord, that, that he was baptized for us uh, as a representative, that baptism of repentance. Lord, he had no sins to be baptized for. And so he did it for us on our behalf because we couldn't be there with John. That before we were even born, Jesus was baptized as our representative. That everything that you require of us, he has already fulfilled. It is already completed. Lord, we have joy of looking back at the fulfillment of your promises instead of looking ahead like they did in the Old Testament. Help us to not take that for granted, Lord, that we see so much more than our brothers and sisters for thousands of years have seen. And we can see it in your word. Lord, if there's one here today that does not have the testimony of your blood on their life, if they are trying to lay some excuse before you of why they should be saved other than Christ, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their need of you. That, Lord, anything that they're clinging to other than Christ, that they would just let it go today. That they would trust in you alone for their salvation. Or if there's one here that has not followed through in that step of, of baptism, that they have not been biblically baptized, they don't have that testimony on their life saying, I'm committed to Jesus. It's like putting that wedding band on and saying, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not believing anybody else. I'm not following any other gospel. 
Um, Lord, I pray that, that they would make that decision, that they would, they would talk with their pastors today and let them know that it's time for, for them to, to be committed. It's time for them to step up uh, and not be ashamed of the gospel that saved them uh, in, in public. Um, Lord, if, if there's those that, that don't have the testimony of the new birth this morning, may, maybe they know a lot about the new birth, but they haven't actually experienced it. Lord, I, I pray that you would do that work. I can't make that happen. Nobody else can make that happen for them, Lord. That's something that you can do. Um, but I, we know that your word says that you resist the proud and you exalt the humble, Lord, and that if we come to you with a prideful intellect, Lord, that you're going to resist us and forgive us where we've thought that we figured you out. And, Lord, uh, if there's one here this morning that, that has all the knowledge of the world, world and, and, and no power, Lord, I pray that you would give them the new birth. Your word says, Jesus himself said, that it's like the wind that comes and goes, and we don't, we don't understand how it works. Uh, Lord, but we pray that the wind of your Holy Spirit would be working here this morning and those who need it. And so, Father, we thank you for these testimonies concerning your Son and these testimonies concerning us. We ask that you would make them true for each one of us.